Uh, we're going to start a series uh, today called Slam, uh, How to Deal with Suffering. I was listening to Chamberlain's story. It's an awesome story, wasn't it? And those uh, Christ and coffee folks, if you know them, they're deeply spiritual. I made me kind of feel bad because I'm not a spirit. What came to my mind was not Christ and coffee, but beer and Bible study. So I, <clears throat> maybe I shouldn't say that. But what a great story. And that story just represents so many of you guys out there who God has touched your lives in, in tremendous ways. You know, God never said you would not suffer, but he did promise to turn your suffering to your advantage if you will, if you will let him. So this series is for a specific purpose. I don't wanna waste not one ounce, not one drop of the suffering you've had to go to to let God use it and turn it to your advantage. So today I'm going to challenge you to make one brave choice that will help you navigate these inevitable seasons of suffering and turn it to your advantage. So let's pray uh, to that end and ask God to speak to us. Lord, that is our prayer. Speak to us today because we're listening for you. Our hearts are open, our minds are alert. Speak to us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was in my late 30s, uh, I had a series, a number of, of episodes of getting a sore throat, and eventually went to a doctor, and the doctor confirmed that I was getting strep throat continually. I, I, I was given meds, of which I took some, and uh, started to feel better. Uh, after a while, and all was good, and in my mind, the issue was settled after I had taken these meds, until my sore throat returned with a vengeance again and again, strep struck again. <laughs> Finally, my doctor broke the bad news. He said, uh, she said, Dave, you're going to have to have your tonsils removed. It's the only way you'll ever get better, and my thoughts were these. I did not have time for a tonsillectomy. I'm a busy guy. I'm a pastor of a church of 8,000 cantankerous people. Uh, not you guys, but the ones in the other services. <laughs> my thought, honestly, was my throat. I'll treat it my way. I can deal with the pain. I can tough it out. I am not about to go through surgery. Not your will, doc, but mine be done. My will. But over the next several years, it seemed like, seemed like I got slammed with sickness every few months, constant sore throats accompanied with high fever, swollen lymph nodes, and it, this, it nudged this discomfort that I'd had that I was trying to bear to severe pain. I was getting strep all the time, sick all the time. Finally, I gave in and had the tonsillectomy. It turns out the doctor was right. I had the surgery, and I haven't had strep in 20 years. <laughs> surfaces an interesting question. Where in the process of pain should you quit stubbornly saying to people who care about you, people who are trying to help you, to the doctor, I'll treat my symptoms my own way? Friends, I know that when you've been slammed by inevitable seasons of suffering, it is only human to say, not your will, Doc, not your will, but mine be done. 
when your significant other hurts you. And now you are looking for revenge, and you won't forgive, and you've devised sinister plots. Some of you have done this. Sinister plots to get back at someone because it's my will be done. Or you suffer loss, and it's normal to want to numb your pain with anything from addictive chemicals to harmful behaviors or to withdraw or isolate yourself. Why? My will be done. Or when you're at odds with your boss, your spouse, kids, or a friend, but you won't apologize or you hold a grudge, it's because it's my will be done. When your life is a painful wreck and you need help, a psychologist, a counselor, a mediator, a doctor, a pastor, but you're not going to listen to anyone because it's my will be done. And I get it. I'd be lying if I told you that treating your symptoms your way doesn't feel good. It, it might. There's often immediate gratification when you resort to my will be done, my life, my way. But when you are slammed by suffering, immediate gratification is almost always temporary, and it is never ultimately to your advantage. You may get what you want in the here and now, but is it possible that what you want is not ultimately what you really want? Well, I think this is the question that we have to ask ourselves every time we're slammed by suffering. Is what you want what you really want? Jesus wrestled with this very question at one of the most crucial moments in his life. Is what I want what I really want? He responded by making one powerful choice, a choice to pray a simple prayer that helped him navigate his inevitable season of suffering and turn it to his advantage, and it changed everything. Changed everything for him, can change everything for you. Here's what happened. Christ was literally hours from his own death, and he knew it. Now, let's not race past that notion real quickly. What is it like to know your death is imminent, to know you're going to die, and to know you're going to die in just hours? Well, Jesus is the Son of God. He is fully God. But he is also human, and facing his own suffering and death, he knew it was going to happen in just a matter of hours. It is there that we see the raw human side of Jesus emerge. Matthew 26, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with the disciples to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and James and John and became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Talk about slam by suffering. The Scripture says that Jesus was in anguish. The Greek word for anguish is lipe. It means the severest form of emotional pain. I want you to remember that word, lipe. Extreme pain. Now, when my wife Denise uh, 
was in labor with our firstborn. And we're kind of sitting in the delivery room just kind of waiting. And I heard a commotion in the delivery room next to ours. And without warning, this woman started screaming in pain. Sounded like someone was butchering pigs or something. It was, it was so loud. And I asked the doc, what's going on? What's up with this? And the doctor said, this woman in the next room wants to do a natural childbirth. And I said, okay, we're not doing that. You give my wife drugs, then you give me drugs, and everybody in this room needs drugs. We're not doing that. The word picture for lipe, the severest form of emotional pain, the word picture is actually a, a woman in labor crying out in agony. The idea is being obsessed with pain. It's hard to think about Jesus being obsessed with pain. Why would he be the Son of God? But Jesus was in agony, anguished. Why? Well, when someone knows he is about to die, something chemically begins to happen in your brain. Neurons start firing in your brain, and it's like turning on spotlights in there that eliminate peripheral stimuli and illuminate a single thing or idea. It's what happens in your brain naturally when you're in severe suffering or know like something that you're going to die. It's like a zoom lens that as it zooms in, it eliminates that on the periphery and zooms in on a single object. That's what happens in the brain. It's called cathexis. A focused concentration of emotional energy on one thing, and it happened to Christ. Notice that Jesus, one who loved the crowds, he loved the people, and he loved being with the people, but he's facing death now, and the focus is coming down, and he wants to be alone with his disciples, so he goes off. He's zooming in. Then, when he gets alone with 11 of his disciples, he takes three of them and goes even further. He's zooming in even more. He took Peter, James, and John. All other stimuli was eliminated. Jesus' focused concentration of emotional energy was on one single thing, suffering and death. Jesus was slammed. Happened to him. Do you ever feel slammed with suffering? I mean, you may not be facing imminent physical death, but maybe it's the death of a relationship or, or the loss of your career or separation from family or friends or the death of innocence. Or maybe you don't know why you are hyper-focused on your suffering, but you are. It's just like a zoom lens, man. It's all you can see on the periphery. There's nothing else that exists. It's just the suffering. Jesus was in anguish. That's what anguish is. The scripture goes on to say, and he was in distress. This is an interesting word. The root word for distress is a word that was used for homesick and Normally, when we think about someone being homesick, we think of a, a youngster who uh, is uncomfortable spending the night at a friend's house. So you got to go pick up your kid and bring him home. But the kind of homesick that this is referencing here 
is that of a nation that has been captured and its citizens forced into slavery. Homesick means desperate, longing to get out of a horrible situation and go back home. Jesus was laser-focused on navigating this horrible situation he was facing. He was in distress. You know, he told his disciples, he said, my soul is crushed with grief. Your soul is every part of your inner self, the mind, how you think, and the will, your volition, how you make decisions. It's your feelings, it's your emotions, it's your spirit, it's all of that on the inside of you. It's your soul. And he says to the disciples, I'm in anguish. I am distressed. My soul, everything that is in me is crushed with grief. Now, once again, in the Greek language, crushed with, with grief is only one word. And it's the word perilipe. Now, you know the word lipe, right? We've already talked about it. It means obsessive emotional pain. But in the Greek, when an author wants to add emphasis, he does something called word building. He puts a prefix on the word, and he makes the word even stronger, or he negates the word. There's all kinds of things you can do with a prefix. In this case, the peri, which can mean a number of different things, but in this context, means closed in on. So let me ask you a question, see if this helps explain this. Anyone in here uh, claustrophobic? Come on, anybody in here claustrophobic? I'm not claustrophobic, I just don't like closed in places. And so, I mean, seriously, I, I am claustrophobic. I, I was watching a movie recently, I was trying to think of the name of it with Ashley Judd, and she, she, she gets knocked out, but placed alive in a coffin. And they shut that, and she wakes up inside this coffin. I cannot watch that. It's like I get nightmares about that. Um, can you imagine waking up in a coffin? No way out. What's interesting to this word, it's kind of a word picture of this word. Jesus was in an emotional coffin of anguish and distress, crushed with grief, no way out. It was bad. It was so bad that in Luke's account of this same story, he adds, Luke twenty two forty four, and being in agony, his sweat became like great drops of blood. Now, this is really extreme. Jesus experienced the rare medical condition, uh, hematidrosis. I probably didn't say that right, but it's when blood vessels constricting and then dilating until they burst into sweat drops of blood. He was in anguish, man. He was hurting. Jesus was not only facing death, but Jesus knew something more. The death he was about to, to, to die was unfathomably brutal. He knew that. He was about to be crucified. We get our English word excruciating from the word crucified. Excruciating literally means from the cross. He was in anguish and distress, crushed with grief in a coffin of emotional pain, slammed. So what would Jesus do? 
verse 39. He went on a little further and he bowed his, uh, with his face to the ground praying. He prayed, of course he would. My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Hey, God, I think I disagree with you on this one. Take this suffering away. When Jesus was slammed, he reacted. And so do we. You know how we react? My will be done. But is your will be done really what you want? When you are slammed, do you really want to cause more damage in a relationship in your family by getting revenge? Do you really want to numb your pain without addressing the underlying issues? Do you really want to pretend like things are fine when they are not fine? Do you really want to hold on to depression because you're too prideful to talk to someone? Do you really want to hold a grudge instead of make peace? Is what you want in the here and now really what you want? Now, you got to get this because this is where some of you are right now. You're dealing with your pain your own way, and you said, not your will, doc, but mine be done. And what you are learning, you are learning the hard way, is that what you want and what you're getting is not ultimately what you want. My will be done, yeah, might bring temporary relief, but it will also lock you into a never-ending cycle of pain and suffering, trying to fix, trying to manage and demand and manipulate and white-knuckling it and cutting deals with God. None of that is to your advantage. Your best efforts will not help you out of the claustrophobic dungeon of suffering you're in. Well, is there an alternative? I don't know if you remember your first, I'm sure you do your first, maybe later in high school or early in college, your first breakup. Most people have gone through a breakup. I was uh, dating a girl back in those days. I was about 20 years of age, and we've been going together for about two years, and she unexpectedly broke up with me. And it kind of sounds silly now. It does. But at the time... It was odd. It was devastating. I'd never experienced anything like this before. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. Never had felt that kind of emotional pain. And it went on for quite a while. And then one day, I was particularly upset and hurt and angry and kind of bargaining uh, with God. And I said, you know, one of those, hey, God, I think you and I are in disagreement on this one. Can you please stop this pain, fix this situation. Looking back on that, I I really do believe it was God's spirit. At the pinnacle of my personal pain, in that moment, I think he brought this prayer that Jesus prayed, the one we're looking at today, to my mind. My father, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, but... Not my will, but thy will be done. I fell on my bed and I cried out to God. It was the first time I'd ever prayed this prayer. I remember it right now just like it happened yesterday. 
I fell on my bed and I prayed, God, no matter how much it hurts, not my will, but your will be done. The pain did not quickly subside and God never did redeem that relationship. He did not fix my problem, but he began to fix me. And there was a new powerful peace inside and God's presence was never more real than in those days. And I look back now and I realize how God used suffering to build character and redirect my life and draw me closer to him. He turned it to my advantage. It was not what I wanted, but it was what I wanted. More of God. Where in the process of pain should you quit stubbornly saying to people who want to help? When should you stop saying to God, I'll treat my symptoms my way, my will be done. Well, six months ago, I, I got a call uh, from one of our worship leaders who was going through her own season of suffering. She told me she needed some time off after going through two miscarriages and a number of other difficult issues, and I hated it. I hated that she wasn't going to be able to sing here, but I told her I just wanted her to be happy, and I meant that. Well, and of course, I did call her like almost every week, begging her to come back, I mean, asking how she was, um, and telling her if she ever wanted to come back that... Uh, We'd, we'd make that happen. Well, recently, uh, we were talking, and she said, you know, Dave, I, I think I am ready uh, to come back. But she said, there's a new song I'd like to do when I do come back. And she sent it to me, and I listened to his awesome song, and I said, well, let's build the whole service around it, which we've done. And when the team heard the song, as we were planning this service, one of the team members said to me, Dave, do you know the backstory of this song? I said, no, I don't. What is it? And he sent me a link to the story of a woman who had had a miscarriage and how God used friends to help her through it. And then together, those friends wrote this song. And then I knew. I knew why Jen wanted to sing this song. It's her story to serve you. To let you know there is one prayer you can pray that will redeem your suffering and turn it to your advantage. broken heart 
is a part of your plan when i try to pray all i got is hurt and these four So the most important thing that we're going to do today is right now. So I want you to bow with me in prayer. This is going to be very short and very direct. You know what it is in your own life where, you're, where it's like, okay, God, not, not your will, but mine be done. We're going to reverse that right now. 
the best you can, just in, in faith, you mean it the best you can? Say, God, help me right now. Help me. Pray. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. And God, my prayer for everyone who was just courageous enough and brave enough to pray that is that you would honor that prayer. Take your word and plant it deep in our hearts and minds so it would bear fruit, so that strength and courage and peace would flow. Your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our prayer team is going to be uh, down front, and so you uh, are welcome to come and talk with them, pray with them. Uh, after this service. Don't leave here today if something's going on in your heart, your mind, you need some help, some encouragement. Uh, let us uh, serve you in uh, this way. And have you ever asked the question, why in the world, if God loves us and God's a God of love, why is there suffering in the world? We're gonna answer that question uh, next week. So uh, I wanna see you here. I think this is gonna be a good series for all of us learning how to deal with suffering in our lives. We'll see you next time. Thanks.